You're listening to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Care of You. I hope you enjoy the show. I will speak no more of my feelings beneath, but I will speak about Dirt, the second studio album by Allison Chains. It was produced by Dave Jordan and the band and released on September 29th, 1992 by Columbia Records. It reached number six on the Billboard 200 and has been certified four times platinum by the RIAA and has sold over 5 million copies worldwide. The album was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Hard Rock Performance, and it is the band's last album with all four original members as bassist Mike Starr was fired in January 1993. Caught in ice so she stares, stares at nothing, is my special guest today, my adopted daughter in stand-up comedy, Yustena Sokolska. Welcome to the show, Yustena. How you doing? Hi, I'm fine. Thanks for inviting me. Pretty excited. How yeah, are you? I'm doing all right. I'm, been, I'm excited about this one. We've been talking about doing this one for a while. There's been at least twice where we have made a plan to record, got very drunk and both forgot about the plan that we had <laughs> made to record and then forgot about it until later. So I'm glad we're here. I can't speak to your sobriety, but I am working on getting rid of mine at this point, but still sober. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be sober. I had three days in a row off. So this is the day when I finally should be sober and ready for, you know, action at work tomorrow. So, but I see that having a beer or two may be an option on the way. That is always an option. I, I encourage not only for my guests, but my listeners and people close to them to, uh, you know, enjoy it just a little yeah. bit if you, if that's the thing that you're into. So yeah. you sent it. Tell me, how did this album enter your life? It's actually interesting i think because uh well when this album was released it was in 1992 and in 1992 i was two so i was obviously not that much interested in music in general because well i had different priorities at that time but it was somewhere around the year 2000 which i think is quite important was still pre-youtube pre-music streaming era it was still when we were downloading buying recording tapes and cds still believe it or not i still remember the tapes i had a walkman uh, what is the most important thing is that mtv played music back then and we also had vh1 and two music channels from germany viva and viva Zwei. and those are very important why i mention it's because my first encounter the first time i have ever heard alice in chains in general was thanks to one of those channels i think it was mtv that i saw many in the box from facelift i just thought well, who is that angel because Elaine Stiley looked like an angel, yet he sang like a devil, you know? And I just remember the impression I felt like it made on me. I was like, ooh, what the hell? I was 10 years old. So obviously my music taste was pretty eclectic at that time. I did not understand what was alternative music, what was non-alternative music. Yet I heard a lot of classics. My mom used to love both ABBA and Led Zeppelin. So it was, you know, the range of music, which was very, very wide. But that voice, I just remember that voice, what Lane Staley did. And I think that um, the guitarist, Cantrell, yes, he sang some back vocals there. It was really beautiful, amazing. And I got obsessed. But again, as I mentioned before, it was before YouTube. It was before Spotify. I couldn't just, you know, Google. I had to hunt. So I was asking and all my friends at that point, including me a bit as well, we listened to Polish hip hop mostly and rap music. It wasn't that obvious to find someone who listened to grunge. And if anything, it was 
Nirvana, not Alice in Chains. They were less popular. And I was asking my friends, hoping that maybe I will find someone who knows someone who knows someone who maybe perhaps has something. I wasn't looking specifically for dirt. I was just searching for anything. I looked at shops anywhere. And I think it was already on the CD, not on the tape. I got something. I didn't know even the name of the album because I had just, you know, plain, um, well, I have to say it wasn't legal copy of the album at that time. And I got it and I just was listening endlessly to those songs, understanding nothing of them because my English was at a very, very, very low level when I was standing there were sailing. And yet I understood all the pain and all the anger and all the despair that was going through those songs. And I just remember that this is how Polish teenagers back then were listening and learning English because that was possible already to find the lyrics on some forums, not even on Google, but you could be a part of some music forum or something and someone was writing down the words of the songs as they heard them and the other people were translating them and you were translating them for yourself. And then I realized that I still didn't understand them even after they being translated to me because I couldn't relate to all those songs about narcotics and drugs. I was 10, then I was 11 and 12, but still I wasn't doing drugs back then. I'm not doing now, but sorry for this long intro, but I just want to say that when I got this album, when I was listening to it so much without understanding the lyrics, just musical layer of this album and how I was trying to understand what, where, where this pain comes from, when, what is all of that about? I think this was one of the major steps in my life, which like somehow directed me more into rock and metal music. So that's why it's so important, because it was at the beginning only melody and uh, and the sound and the guitars, you know, the, the overdriven guitars, which just have a very specific sound. But they took me on the road, which ha ha did not end till now. I'm 30 years old now, not 10 years, and I'm still there, like, with this music. And I still don't understand part of the lyrics, even though I read them through and listened to them. But... I somehow try to interpret them, and that's also very deep, I think. Hope that made any sense, what I just said. I'm, I'm sure if it doesn't, I can make it make sense later. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you. I remember when this one was released, it was my, uh, it would have been my junior year of college or sophomore year of college, somewhere somewhere in there. So uh, it's a uh, university for the Brits listening. I had jumped on, I, I really loved Facelift and you know I, I was introduced to the band through Man in the Box as well and whatever was on MTV at the time. And so I, I, had, the, I had Facelift on CD. I still have Facelift on CD. And so I was very excited when this one came out. I was working in college radio at the time. And so I remember there was a handful of these songs I played a lot because I was, I would have, not been doing a metal show at the time, but I would have been doing an alternative show. And some of these were still able to be played because it kind of grunge was somewhere in that middle ground. I really like this record. I feel like this is a document. So Facelift is a really good first record. And this gets into that, you know, avoiding the sophomore slump. Uh, sometimes bands wait till the third record to put out something quite this good. I would have had this right about when it first came out, either immediately or, or shortly thereafter. I don't remember specifically picking it up, but I think even the CD that I have, I think this one got lost or stolen because I have one that's in pretty rough shape. That's in a different order than I remember my initial one having, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Let's go ahead and jump into our track by track analysis. So we have side one, song one, Them Bones. <laughs> Ah, 
this is a song that I have to kind of brace myself for if I'm listening to this one on headphones, because it has that just like that second of silence. And then all of a sudden it just goes. I mean, every this is just like shot out of a cannon right fucking away. The way he sings that opening, the yelling that he does at the beginning. And it's such a great opener. This one got a ton of play on my radio show. I really, really like this song. Probably top three on this record for me and, you know, maybe top five all time for Alice in Chains. And, and this is where, you know, Cantrell really shows himself to be really one of the best heavy guitarists of the era. Facelift wasn't a slouch or anything, but this album is significantly heavier than, than most of Facelift. It's got a, a heavier production. I think Dave Jordan produced both of those records. So, you know, it's not radically different, but it's, it is, it's quite a bit heavier and a lot more, let's say, just kind of riffage going on on this one. This is just a, a I think, a really great opening song. It sets the tone for the rest of this record. This is a pretty bleak album, even though it has its moments of lightness, but it's heavy and it's suffocating uh, in the production and it's good. Just the interplay between Cantrell's guitar and Staley's vocals. And, you know, that rhythm section was no slouch either, but it's, uh, and it's good. And it's short, two and a half minutes just to just shoot you right out of a cannon right at the beginning of the record. And Yustina, what do you think about this one? Um, so first of all, for me, it's very interesting because uh, I'm talking now from a perspective of a person who knows this album for, for ages. And I'm, I mean, for ages in my world. And right now, I just know that this is, I think, the heaviest or one of the heaviest uh, songs that ha they have written. I can also say that the first thing when I hear them bones in my head is the solo. It's short, but it's very characteristic. It's like one of a kind. It's like just few perfect sounds one after another. I just can't explain. It's just that this sound is immediately in my head, that solo. And also it is very... I don't think it's a grungy song. I mean, not obviously it must be a bit grungy since it's played by uh, Alice in Chains, but in general, it's very, very... I even know a death metal band called Grave who made a cover of that song and it, it fits this dark, heavy, heavy vibe. And there is a nice contrast between this and how the lyrics are somehow ironic because they are like, uh, we are just a pile of bones. Even the the words, how they are used, like big old pile of them bones. So basically, for three things that I want to say is the solo, how heavy the song is. I really, I really, really like that uh, heavy part because I, I, I'm a lot into death metal at the moment. I like progressive death metal. And actually, my music taste right now is a bit different than it was when I first met Alice in Chains, but they are still with me. The song itself is... Mm. It's a good intro to what happens later in an album. In the album, it's not too long. It's very nice. Like I like how, as you mentioned, it starts very heavy, and it stays like that till the end. Yeah, some some of the other songs because there's quite a few longer songs that run, mm. you know, five six plus minutes. Mm. You know, this album opens up with these two short bursts, and I always think of this one. It's Whereas the other other songs maybe stretch and bend a little bit one. This is like somebody just throwing a baseball in your face. <laughs> yes. It's heavy, it's hard, and it's immediate, and its impact is felt strongly 
right from the top. It also gives a promise that the rest of the album uh, will not be just a your typical verse chorus kind of thing that uh, we have basically the same structure on every song. It just like breaks it in the, immediately from the beginning. And I think this album is like that, that it's okay. Of course, they are very characteristic choruses. Forgive me my pronunciation, but this song is it's not an intro because it's already a full plate audio track full 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 song but it's somehow different and i like that it's not too long so let's go ahead and move on to track two damn that river What do you think about this one? Somehow I remember this one the least from the album. I mean, I like it, obviously. I, I remember the the melody. I even remember the, the lyrics. But I just, uh, it seems for me that when it comes to the construction of the album, it's like somehow, uh, how you say it in Polish, uh, in English, quiet before the storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you say that uh, yes. in English? <laughs> that it's like somehow uh, uh, comparing to them bones, it's like slower. It's like more mellow, if that's even possible at uh, when you talk about this album, but it's like more less dynamic and calmer. And I like the title, I would say, uh, <laughs> Damn the River, Damn That River. Uh, I like the, the metaphor behind it because I think this is when uh, my understanding of the lyrics ends, really. Lest, uh, I think that the, the, the further we go into the album, the more interpretation is there, the less obvious lyrics that, oh yeah, that will be, okay, I can say it's about drugs, but what does it say about drugs? You know, the other songs. This song is like, well, you cannot dump that river. It's pretty clear. And when you go through it, I think it is one of those songs they wrote for their girlfriends, if I'm not mistaken, because I just remember that when I was uh, younger, I thought that all the lyrics are written by Lane Staley. I just was thinking that every, because, you know, when I was younger, it was all about the vocalist. When you listen to the songs when you are 10 years old girl, you think that vocalist is everything that matters in the band. Only uh, then when I started to listen more, when I started playing guitar myself, I started listening, uh, reading about the story of the band, history of the band a bit more. And I started thinking about the riffs because I tried to repeat them. The riffs on every single Alice in Chains song are just the best. I can't select uh, my favorite one, but Damn That River is my, I think, least favorite on the album. Maybe that's why I still like it very much because it's from this album. Okay, so I'll go ahead and, and so jump. You I, go I'm gonna, ahead. I'm going to go ahead and jump in here. And, uh, you know, so this is uh, what I what I like about this one is I feel like it really doesn't slow down the drive. I mean, it's not as heavy as them bones, but it's still pretty heavy. And with the way that Them Bones just really jumps out at you, I always have it in my head that song two is going to just pull way back and it doesn't. Now, the uh, the verses are a little bit brighter, you know, so they're, they're, the verses aren't quite as heavy and there's you can get a little bit more of the vocal and it just has that feel. And again, I'm not a musician, so I don't really know how to explain a lot of these things, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I feel like the the guitar and whatever is, is, is a little bit brighter, a little bit not. It's, it's still pretty heavy. 
but I feel like the choruses on this one still go pretty heavy. And now that mixing of damn, like what a beaver would make and damn as in damn you, mm. should have been super cheesy, but it works somehow. I always remember thinking of this album as just being nonstop about, not even about drugs, but specifically about addiction. This is not one of those songs. And I know that some people think this had something to do. I think uh, the guitar player and the bass player had gotten into a fight and this was some kind of revenge fantasy or something is an interpretation that I've seen. I hadn't really thought much, much about it just because, uh, you know, so I broke you in the Canyon. I drowned you in the lake. You a snake. I would trample the only thing I'd not embrace. You know, it's like, it, I think these are pretty, I don't want to say cryptic, but fairly, you know, it's like heavy lyrics don't always have to tell a story, make any, make that much sense. And just, you could see like the, the guitar is just, is brighter on those verses. But then when he gets into the chorus, you know, it's, it goes, but it's not quite as heavy as them bones, but it's, it's pretty close. I think this is a really good song too. Like this is one, I could see why this is maybe not one that's most memorable for you. It's one that I, I still really like, but in my head, this song is slower. And then when I, I kept hearing, it, I was like, no, nope, this is, <laughs> this is almost as heavy, you know? And it's still, it's another short one. It's, you know, it's only just over, barely over three minutes long. I think you know, one of the things I've learned just doing the show is how often you need these like bridges to get you in. Cause you know, song one could be whatever the fuck you want it to be. Uh, and it depends on, you know, and you know, I like to be just punched in the face with song one, unless you're doing something a little bit tricky. I like that. Just let's, let's just go just everybody. Let's go. And, and I like that about this album because it does that. And then song two has so many different ways to bring you into the record. Are, you know, are you going to try to match some of that energy while doing something different? Are you going to try to mix it up all together? And this one, I think stays pretty much on that same level. I do think that this song was supposed to have a segue vibe, if you know what I mean, mm -hmm. that it was supposed to be calmer. And if I can add one thing, I think this is the only song on the album which feels some, that I feel some optimism in. Okay. That this is the only part of the song when I think that life is not hopeless. <laughs> well you know revenge fantasies are always yes you got, you got to keep going you know they, the idea is to to live well after the revenge so that totally makes sense let's go ahead and move on to track three rain when i die I really like the bass riff that opens this one. So I notice a lot of times uh, on albums, track three is where a lot of times people will, this is where bands will slow it down, or maybe you'll find a single. And this is somewhere in that it's in that it, you know, after those first two, this song is longer than those first two songs combined. And it's got this really nice bass riff. It really, it takes its time getting started. So it has a little bit of, you know, some kind of instrumental things going on and, and Cantrell's doing some fun stuff with the guitar. And, you know, at one point it sounds like he's playing maybe like a, at the top above the frets or something. So it's got that really kind of almost like you're tinkling a piano or something. I don't, I don't play guitar. I don't know what the fuck he's doing, but it sounds neat. And then the vocals just sort of 
kind of fade in. So, uh, you know, after those first two songs, which are five minutes total, let's say six minutes total, this one just, just breaks six minutes. It does some fun stuff to it. Like all of a sudden then the vocals come in and I don't know if he's necessarily using a wah-wah pedal, but it's kind of got that sound that wah-wah-wah, you know, on the way through. And I, you know, I like a lot of what's going on this one. And, and for a song that is as long as it is, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's not in a hurry. Like those first two songs are, are all about the punch. And I feel like this is one that they're having a little bit of fun with uh, musically. That's what I have to say about that. What about you? What do you think about this one? So I just noticed that it's six minutes, over mm -hmm. six minutes. And it really strikes me that I, it doesn't feel at all like it's six minutes song. That's that's true. The second thing is that have I, I, I'm not sure, sure if I have mentioned already, but Lane Staley is like the best vocalist, was the best vocalist. And I see he's literally one of my top three if not top one wow, and okay. this song yes yeah, so that's like basically i could listen to him like endlessly i like those songs of alice in chains which uh, show the scale the range of his voice i really like the power when he can sing like you know calmly and then go with the full with whole power like sing with from his guts like simply like and this is uh, the chorus in this song is basically giving me that and it me gives nice contrast what happens in between and plays nicely with the riffs in the in the, uh, as you mentioned they are very like wow 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 wowish i'd say <laughs> yes i i really like the song i like also how the musical layer like instrumental layer and how they sing is again in contrast with what they sing about. I have this impression that instrumental layer and melodical part of the song is like somehow even joyful, cheerful, you know, lighter, much lighter than the actual meaning of the song. This is what I find very interesting about it. Track four, Down in a Hole. I think of this one that it is probably one of the most beautiful songs of all time ever in the history of rock music, like ever, ever and ever. And like, I literally... Don't hold back, Lucinda. Tell us what you're thinking. Yes, I can't name many more songs which made such an impression on me on every layer that I can possibly imagine. I had my first encounter with these songs many times. In a sense that first I heard it and I couldn't even understand the title because of my poor knowledge of English, because you might probably notice it's not my first language. Basically, I did not understand and yet I felt the pain. The melody is just, just brilliant. The song is more in a classical setup when you have a verse and, and the chorus, but it doesn't matter because it's just perfect here. It's like you would say it's a ballad but it's not really a ballad, I would say. It takes everything that's best uh, in his voice, which I think he has, I don't know how to say it in English again, but his range was, was very wide. It's like four octaves, I think. Octaves, yep. Mm -hmm. uh, that he had the range of. That whatever he sings is like, whether he sing, sings like a, a ballad, 
kind of song or like heavy chorus it's still like this the same part of type of emotions that i feel there but down in the hole has also like the most the saddest and the most beautiful lyrics if you compare it to the rest of the album when like all of those uh, and i i think that it's actually not even stale who wrote the lyrics for that but control it doesn't matter that all together when you listen to the final piece I'm I'm out of words really. It's like this is how <laughs> how big impression this song has on me. I I tried I I sing I play a bit of guitar myself and I tried to learn it but when I sing it when I try to play it it sounds like a church song but when I listen it on this album still the most beautiful one that could have been but it's just oh my god it's just so brilliant. It's it's sad, it's gentle. It's a bit different on the ly- lyrical part. This piece has special place in my, you know, stone cold heart. It's one of the best lyrics I have heard. And I could keep repeating it for next 10 hours and te- keep telling you how it is the best song, but yeah. All right. Well, then I'll tell you, before we get to that part cuz I'll have to do too much editing for that. So I'm just going to go ahead and jump <laughs> in. And this really obviously finally it really slows it down. This is a song that a lot of times you would find on a track 3. I I prefer it in track 4. I always think 3 is just a little too early to throw in a ballad and and this is you know, you said maybe not about this is legitimately a ballad. It does have an edge. This is a love song from Jerry Cantrell to his girlfriend at the mm-hmm. time and I think eventually was his wife. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not 100% sure about that. Originally this was track 12 and I want to say in the first CD that I had had that's where it was and then uh, when I had to repurchase this one now it's at this at track 4. I think it works much better at track 4 even though I am and this is for you Eric Schmidt a sucker for a, a slow closer but I I like it where it is here because it it works in that you know you want that 3 or 4 to to do something a little bit different like I said you know it's either going to be maybe a little bit shinier because it's a single or a little bit slower because it's a ballad and and this one is it's a, you know it's still an Alice in Chains song I don't think that it's a, it, it suddenly turns into something that it's not. It still has that edge to it. It still has that guitar and I I think Jerry Cantrell was maybe one of the the better we'll say riff masters of the 90s like if you had to just choose you know so like Tony Iommi clearly ruled the 70s. People can argue about you know the 80s, you know if you're going to talk about the 90s, Jerry Cantrell is in that conversation as you know the best heavy guitar player of the decade. That's not even far off base here on this much slower song. Uh, it just works in the context that you know I I don't remember it being at track 12 and I would have to re-listen to see if that made any sense. I like it right here where it is. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's a good tune. We're going to go ahead and move on to track 5, Sick Man. You know, we haven't really talked a lot about the drumming or the bass on this, just a little bit here and there, and that's I think pretty normal, especially for non-musicians. That uh, you know, the, the rhythm section tends to get overlooked a little bit unless there's something dramatic, like we have here in track five, like those off-kilter drums, syncopated drums that open this up, just great. And then there's that riff, or it may even be a lick, because I'm not a guitar player and I can't really, I don't know what the difference is, but you know, just like he's just throwing these little shards of guitar at you. 
and then the vocals come in and I think they're like, they like change channels. Like if you're listening on headphones at one point is in your right ear, another point is in your left ear. And then it gets a little bit draggy, but I feel uh, on purpose, like it kind of slows it down and then it just pops right back in with that riff. And I feel like this is an album that gets talked a lot about, about being about addiction, about being about drugs. And I feel like this is the first time in track five, mind you, Mm -hmm. that addiction is actually being spoken about, you know, so them bones is, you know, just about how we're all going to die someday. Damn that river is about maybe an argument rain when I die, you know, there's these things that maybe there's a little bit of uh, some interpretation you can throw uh, addiction in there. This is the first time it's, I think, upfront and center. This is a fucking great song. It rocks and it's, but it's also, it's harrowing. You know, it's like, it's hard. Like this whole, this whole record sometimes can be a little difficult in the approach to the guitar and the, and the way that the vocals come in. And it's a good listen, but it's not, it's not a fun, this is not a fun record, <laughs> you know, and this is where you see that. And obviously, Heroin addiction would take Lane Staley's life, you know, way, way, way too early. You know, this is a guy that basically wasted away in his apartment, you know, somewhere in yeah. Seattle. And ultimately it's, it's sad, you know, he's singing about it. And I, I think there's, there's some hope that maybe that there's a handle on it at some point, but no, you know, the, you know, the story is the, the way, he, cause he was found dead and he'd been dead in his apartment for a couple of days. And as far as I know, the story goes like the bank, had called Lane Staley's mother and said, nobody has withdrawn money from his bank account for three days. And she immediately called the police and they found him dead. It's a sad story. And and this is when he was still healthy enough to deal with his addiction and he's dealing with it in writing. But this was some real shit. And unfortunately, it was too real. What are your thoughts on Sick Man? My thoughts on Sick Man are pretty similar in a sense that, yes, a lot of people say and it's partially true that or actually it's true that great deal on this album lyric wise is the addiction and addiction to heroin and when i think about it that yeah this was in 1992 that the record was released and it was i think 2002 when he died so 10 years from from this release he will literally got killed by what he was singing on this album. And it's somehow terrible. I mean, somehow it's simply terrifying, but it also gives me this thought that grunge, I think that grunge didn't last long because, sorry, I'm not a specialist on music, but I think that what the bands, all the bands that play what we call today, this post grunge type of music are completely different deal. Because back then, when there was no internet, when there were no influencers, it was somehow treated differently when the musicians were killed by their addiction. If you know what I mean, that they were basically, while being musicians, people who listened to them knew that those people struggle with their addictions and it wasn't widely like condemned. Basically, the times were different. And I think that such an album could not be released today without wide criticism from various types of parts of society. What I'm trying to say is that it was real back then. 
those people were really singing about the addictions they were struggling with. And I think I read somewhere in an article about Alice in Chains that they were a bit sorry about releasing this album with so much content about heroin because some of their fans were approaching them saying, I'm high now and this is not what they wanted to achieve. This is the first song on the album in this setup that we are discussing today, which is so clear about drugs that he's uh, singing there that he can feel the, the wheel but he cannot steer. So basically he's singing about being high and then he, he was high. And what is even more dramatic is that I think he, he got released from rehab shortly before they recorded. I mean, checked out from rehab shortly after uh, that they started recording and he got back uh, to heroin, I think, during the record session on this album, as far as I remember. And that's why it's so scary when I listen to it. And and I feel guilty for loving this song so much, in a sense. I can see that in its own way. And I think singing about addiction is nothing new. You know, they weren't the, the first band to do it, but there's there's something just that, that that's heavy about this and not not in like a heavy metal kind of way, but just approach and so much that's going on. It's 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 tough. On to track six rooster yeah they come to snuff the rooster Stenis Sokolska, what do you got for me? That I did not understand this song because uh, I did. I come from a different country and <laughs> we don't talk so much about the Vietnamese war here. I mean, we are aware that something like that happened, but it didn't play this much part in our history because we had, you know, a couple of different wars that we were taught <laughs> a bit more about. Uh, <laughs> as far as I understand, this is the song uh, written by Cantrell about his relationship with his father, who was uh, a veteran of Vietnamese war. I remember that I think this is one of the singles from this album and I think there was this video which uh, well didn't survive good when it comes to the quality because it's an old video but has very meaningful story in it and and shoots when there are soldiers there's I just remember vividly guy without a leg from this video very scary which like so again there is this contrast between how seemingly calm the song is at least in the beginning and what matter does it talk about? This this conflict between a son and a father and, and like what war is another destructive factor in one's life. And basically this, I, holy, this album is one of the saddest I know of. It's either, it does not only talk about drugs, but also like this distracting, heavy, difficult relationships even love is so shown as destructive. This song, basically, if I wanted to sum it up, it's calm, it's sad, it's hard to understand for someone who... But maybe this is what the song was written for, because it's very hard for me to relate to it, and yet I do sense this deep will to try and understand the nature of relationship between them and what word basically does to, to people like another destructive factor 
Uh, yeah, definitely. So it's not just, uh, you know, I don't think you necessarily need to know anything about the Vietnam War to get this because it's obviously about somebody who was in a war and and how that affected them and then how that eventually affected their relationships with other people. And this is when it was a single, I think it was the fourth single and it was, uh, it, it got plenty of play. But <laughs> when I was in, in university, I had a roommate and his nickname was Rooster. So my roommates used to play this song a lot. And I got to the point where I used to not like this song, like on an individual level. It was like one of those, I think a single that you hate on the radio, but you love on the album. That's one of these songs for me. It's sort of like, uh, You Shook Me All Night Long by ACDC. Like, I never really need to hear that song ever again. But if I'm listening to Back in Black, if I'm actually listening to the album Back in Black, I love it where it is on the record. But I don't want to hear it on the radio. I don't want to hear it individually. And Rooster is one of those songs for me because it was a big radio single and my roommates played the shit out of this record or this song, uh, mainly to annoy my my roommate, who I don't even think liked this song very much. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Uh, and so it's one that, you know, I, I need that context for it. And it's it's a good tune. And I know, it, like you said, it was it was written about Jerry Cantrell's dad, who was a, a veteran of the Vietnam War. You know, I read something about how his dad only saw them play one time and they played this song and tears and, and whatnot. So one of those things. But uh, it's a it's a good tune. And, and I can see why they released it as a single, even though it's pretty long. It's over six minutes long. So it's I don't know if there was a radio edit that I don't quite remember, but is certainly a possibility but i think with alternative radio that there were uh they weren't quite as uh, connected to that three and a half minute long single so that brings us to the end of side one of dirt from allison chains on i fucking love this record with my special guest you sent us to kolska now you sent you and i as i mentioned at the top we uh we do some stand-up comedy together obviously 2020 has not been very friendly to stand-up comedy we have not had very many shows. We did start off the year before everything shut down doing your first big headline show here. And uh, I don't know. What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about some stand-up right now? I just want to say that I miss it badly. That I really had big plans for this year when it comes to stand-up comedy. As you mentioned, I did have my first headlining show ever. And it was quite good, I, I'd say. And I really wanted to continue with that. So everything I can say is that once this pandemic is over, come to the shows to whoever listens and 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 supports stand up comedians and uh, believe me the amount of jokes we will have to share after <laughs> this period of lockdown is it's just going to be big so i hope that we will be back on stage soon yeah same here so uh, after after a long shutdown so you know both of us obviously are here in uh, Wrocław Poland and uh, after a, a long time of everything being shut down we were able to do open mics again and then that lasted Three whole weeks. <laughs> Three weeks. <yes. laughs> Three weeks. Should have been four, yeah. but our venue uh, had to close for reasons that were not COVID related. And then, uh, anyway. Well, hopefully we'll be back soon. I mean, the vaccine is ready, I've heard. So that's that's the rumor. So we'll see. Hopefully there's going to be places open and we can go out and we can perform and and it'll be nice and normal again. And we can have our, our writers meetings and all the good stuff. Fingers crossed. We're going to go ahead and flip this bad boy over. Side two, song seven, Junkhead.
we think this one's about? All right. This is kind of a, a middle of the pack song for me. And, you know, I, I like to split the album in two so we can do a little talk. And generally, if I have the vinyl or if I can find out what the vinyl track listing is. So I'm not 100% sure that this does start side two. I'm pretty sure just based on, you know, timing and whatnot, but it's not necessarily a great start to a side two. I love the chorus in this one. You know, I have that, you know, you know, what's my drug of choice? What have you got? Uh, you know, I don't go broke, but I do it a lot to go, you know, to really to go back that his, you know, mom found him because he didn't take money out of his ATM. But it's a, maybe only the the second time that drugs are, I want to, I don't want to say drugs because drugs can be, can apply a lot of things, but let's say addiction uh, is, is taken on here and it's, it's a good one. I think that basically Sick Man is just a much better song. This one is, it's just really middle of the pack. I don't dislike the song, but it's not one that I necessarily go straight to. And if it is what starts side two, that's, I think, you know, maybe not the best choice. But what do you think about this one? When it comes to the order of the tracks on the, on the album, I have to say that I've never thought about it really, because uh, as I mentioned, the first copy that I got of this album was illegal. So I'm pretty sure the songs were just, you know, shuffled. I just, I don't even remember what was which in, in which order. Uh, so I cannot say about this being an opening of the site two but it's also not um, one of my favorite songs, but mostly because I'm so afraid of it. Because again, um, I've never done drugs in my life. I, I, I don't even like weed. I'm afraid of them. Drugs are something that, that scare me. And, and here there's so much passion in this song. And it, I know that they did not record it to glorify the addiction. They did not record it to glorify the being under the influence of um, heroin or whatever. They are very convincing in this that I, when I read it, when I read the lyrics, when I listen to them playing the song, like when I listen to the song, that it's so convincing that someone could feel this way, so aggressive and so passionate about such a destructive substance, if you know what I mean, that this is this is scary. So I, I treat this song as a horror movie of this album that I, I watch it like with my eyes, you know, uh, <laughs> Covered. covered with my hands and just looking at it through through my fingers. I, and anybody who decided, who heard this record and thought, yeah, I want to try heroin. I don't get that because <laughs> yeah. know, it, this is all, it's, it's all terrifying. They're, they're clearly not glamorizing drug addiction at all. You know, they're showing, this is not a fun record, you know, to listen to. And then hearing some of these things, it's like, this is not nice. This is not something that you want to be a part of. This is not something you want your friends or family members to be a part of. And anybody who walks away from this thinking, I got to try that. What the fuck are you talking about? I don't understand because, uh, you know, I, I like beer, but, you know, I'm not a big uh, drug person either. And, and the thought of even trying heroin, like what, you know, how many, it's it, so many people have been destroyed by that particular drug, but, you know, not to get off on a tangent on that, but. So let's go ahead and move on to track eight, the title track, Dirt. Care is one who shouldn't be. I'm to myself from what is wrong for me. 
do you think about this one, Yustana? There is so much despair in this song and uh, self-depreciation. Is that a word in English? Yeah, self, sorry, uh, self-deprecation. Yeah. Deprecation, sorry. In the beginning, I thought that it is also about drugs somehow. And I see this weird pa- pa- parallel between how uh, relations can also be addictive. Because in the end, I also don't think this is about uh, substance uh, abuse or or, um, addiction necessarily, but about some uh, actual uh, relation with another person which is toxic that you would rather end it in a a bad way than than, be stuck in it. And it's um, somehow this song reminds me a bit of uh, Love, Hate, Love from a previous album. I think it was from Facelift that Love, Hate, Love, with, which is the second best song they had, in my opinion. But uh, I see this parallel here, that this is like you are frust- someone, someone or is very important to you and yet toxic and destructive again. So as we mentioned a couple of times here, it's not a fun album. It's not a very positive overall uh, lyric wise and music is heavy and the riffs are, um, and by the way, the sound of guitars on this album is also very specific. It all gives you this heavy vibe. I think that the later we get into the album, the, 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 the heavier it gets at every level. And this goes like, especially, deep with dirt when it comes to the lyrics that they are like the most personal even i think i would say i think with this one you know sick man or, or junkhead or the next song that we're going to listen to with godsmack are, are so clearly about drug addiction i think the thing with dirt is that addiction is only a part of it i think there's a lot of different things this is one of the few times that addiction is a part of it but it's not the focus that it's talking about like you said maybe a toxic relationship along with elements of suicide or or revenge or depression or you know there's a lot of things going on with this one and I think that's why it's a a good choice for a title track i really like you know that opening guitar almost sounds like flies at the very beginning and then it goes in. And this was one that reminds me, as opposed to an earlier Alice in Chains, this reminds me just a little bit of early Soundgarden. This is a song I could hear being covered by Soundgarden in 1989. <laughs> so, you know, three years before this came out. But um, this is one that I, you know, I really like this song. That really brings all the different things together. Because we mentioned, you know, those first four tracks don't really have anything to do necessarily with drug addiction. And I think, you know, you know, so then there's the ballad in there and then there's, you know, some different things and then bridge between Sick Man and Rooster and Junkhead. And, and I think this one kind of just puts all of that together. And I can see that's mm-hmm. part of that. Ha- I think that's probably part of why they chose this as the uh, as the title track. Moving on to track number nine, Godsmack. What in God's name I really just love the, the the chunky guitars that start this one. So, I mean, these are like just, just big fat guitars that we're not, you don't see a whole lot of. I mean, it doesn't sound completely different, 
but I think there's a different vibe to the guitar on this one. I like the, I'm not sure if this is the right word for it, but the, uh, like the vibrato that he does on his voice because his voice kind of does like a shake. I'm going to go with vibrato. I'm going to assume that's the right term for it. And if you are a musician, you think I'm using the right term, you can either, uh, you know, send me an email or you can go fuck yourself. But uh, it's just like a really cool effect. This is the first time where... <laughs> There's just, you know, a little bit more of that groove to the, uh, the, the drug heavy song. And it's, I mean, this is such a good song that I forgive them for influencing the bad guy, the band Godsmack, who are not nearly as good as this song. What are your thoughts here? Crazy. This song is a freak show of this album. It's like if they just got there and they wanted to do something like nuts, the outcome is brilliant. And the funny part is that the 10 years old me did not like this song at all. I mean, this was that one song that I was skipping. And now I think the 30 years old me, apart from Down in the Hole being the most beautiful ballad-like song, which I stick to, but this is my second favorite on the album at the moment. But it's changed with time. I think this is, it is somehow connected with how the music taste changes because the 10 years old me also didn't like cannibal corpse for example so i think (laughs) i think uh, there is some progression at all with all the bands and the music in general but it's crazy it's not as melodic song as the rest it's like more like in the same group like them bones but it's even more crazy. And I think that if we wanted to have a, a video directed for this song, it could be directed by Tim Burton. You know, it's like <laughs> this kind of freaky horror style. I like it. I like it very much. Very, yeah. very specific song. Sure. And it's, uh, it's the first one that's under five minutes since song two. So it takes all the way till you know, track nine that we're not getting a plus five, almost six or over six minute long song. But now talking about Freak Show, we're going to move on to track 10, which is either called Intro, Dream Sequence, Iron Gland, Unlisted or Untitled. What do you got for me on this 43 second song, Eustena? It's my favorite song where, uh, <laughs> where, <laughs> wait, there is something to it. It's my favorite song in which Tom Araya sings. <laughs> it's like, uh, I must say, I'm not a fan of Slayer. Never have been. What? Um, no, I'm sorry. The trash metal. Oh. Uh, the only, I mean, I like, when it comes to trash metal, I, I like a uh, Testament. That's the thing. So I was, I I mean, I respect fully. I listened to a couple of songs, but I just never, never got much into thrash metal. So please don't hate me. And I learned pretty late that Tom Araya was here. I didn't even recognize that that's the voice. But then again, there are 43 seconds. So, and the titling is like, I think that some, it's even possible that in my first version of, the album that I had, it wasn't even there. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like easy to miss because it could be uh, the end of the previous song or the beginning of the next song. And I somehow never paid much attention. But it's an interesting thing, I'd say. It's goofy. It's fun. It's 43 yeah. seconds. On my CD, I double checked. Mine, it says 10 and then nothing. It doesn't say untitled. So this, for my CD, it's unlisted. 
but it's there. So it's not a hidden track. It says track 10, but then there's just, it's blank after that. Um, and of course, you know, it goes with the, you know, uh, a little bit of, you know, we get a, a small piece of Iron Man from uh, Black Sabbath, but he says, you know, I am iron. And then somebody says gland. And so that's why it's listed that way sometimes. So I think uh, just enough about a 43 second song there. We're going to move on to track 11, Hate to Feel. Maybe my least favorite song on the album. I don't like that sing-songy effect that happens at the first part of it. You know, where he's like, they, what the fuck? You know, but, you know, just like, you know, the way that it, it's sung. Now, when it's not in that part, there is a, a little bit of a groove to it that is unfortunately fleeting. I don't dislike the song, but this is eh, probably my least favorite. What do you think about this one? I think I agree with you. In the sense that I don't, like when I was listening to this album some time ago, after a longer break, it was the biggest surprise that I remembered this song the least, which was similar to Dumb That River, but Dumb That River is more characteristic and it has this, this, it's more, uh, I remembered it better. I also like this album as a whole, but hate to feel apart from the fact that it has beautiful lyrics, but all of them have. So it's like beautiful. I mean, interesting, very meaningful lyrics. Then I can't, I couldn't remember the tone, the riffs, the song that I least remember. I will not listen to the album for the next couple of months. I assume it's going to be the same. I do remember some of it, but it's like the least characteristic. Like if this song disappeared from the album, I think I wouldn't suffer much. But I can't say I dislike it. I agree. That was the first one. Just when I looked at the songs, I remembered like I got at least a tune or a tone or whatever. If, if I didn't, you know, some of them, obviously I could remember the whole song. But Hate to Feel was that one that I was like, oh, right. It's that one. You know, so I, I had that same thing. So let's go ahead and move on to track 12, Angry Chair. Sitting on an angry chair. What do you think here, Yustana? I think it's one of the singles as well. I like the phrasing that it's like very uh, rhythmical and it goes sitting on an angry chair. I like the rhythm of the song. What I'm yeah. trying to say is it's very interesting. Also, it's about the social. So I, I, I can't even say what the song is about. It's like kind of, I'm like, it's missing the idea. It's like not fitting into the idea I have about this album, if you know what I mean. It's like, for me, this album is like either sung by Broken Heart, someone who is like so in such deep and difficult relationship with something or someone or some addiction or, or drugs. And this one is like suddenly more into the how society thinks 
not how society thinks, but how, I don't know, maybe you can tell me what this song is about. Basically, I, I have a big problem <laughs> with it. It's like how you are take, like understood by other people, looked at by other people. Something like that. I, I never quite, because this is what I, I used to love this song. I, when the album first came out, this was probably my favorite or second favorite song on the album. I don't like the name Angry Chair. It seems like such a weird metaphor. And, and I, you know, so I don't know, you know, we had the thing where, you know, if you were bad in school that you had to sit in the chair in the corner, mm -hmm. but then there's a little bit of this, you know, corporate prison he mentions and how I'm a, I'm a dull boy and work all day. And so I don't know if this is meant to be where you're sitting in a cubicle in an office and that makes you angry but it, that doesn't quite fit for what they do so you know outside of the lyrics which have some moments but i'm with you i like the way he sings it what i love is that those cavernous drums at the beginning so this is another one that starts with some drums and that opening guitar riff is, has that nor quality to it before you know the big riffs come in so it sounds like there's two different guitars on this one the next song we're going to talk about you know wasn't necessarily meant for this record so i kind of i consider this one to be the final song on the record proper uh so the next song we're gonna that we're gonna talk about i was like added on because it was originally somewhere else you know sometimes i think about this one a little bit like the, that this was meant to be the album closer and now whether that would have worked better with, you know, what became track four or this one. And this is one that I remember being at a friend's house and we were playing some cards and drinking some beer. And, you know, so this would have probably been in 93, I think. And another guy that we knew from high school had come over and he was a guy that didn't really listen to heavy music. And I was in, when this came on, I was really afraid that he was going to pretend that he liked it just because everybody was liking the stuff at the time. And then he just like the vocals drove him crazy. And so I thought, okay, Okay, this is cool because it, you know he he doesn't like it, which is such a twenty-one-year-old thing to think of. But anyway, it's a great song. I don't know what it's supposed to mean at all. <laughs> yeah, but I I just see this. Uh, if I just may add that I do see this how this uh, song is different. I, I know that I'm probably repeating myself, but I will be able to better concise what I wanted to say. Basically, the other lyrics. And also the somehow the instrumental part on this album seems more introspective, like more about what I feel uh, about my uh, relation with myself as, a, as, a, as someone who sings this, who wrote this, or with addressing another person or this item, this thing that we are addicted to or we have hard relationship with this song i feel like it's more descriptive it's like more grabbing with bigger picture everything and that's where this society is talked about here that it's not longer so introspective it's not only my struggle right now but there is something wrong with the society that maybe as i see it whatever is in songs 1 to 11 is the result of whatever happens in the song 12 so in that sense, like that it's because of the society is like that. I do feel all those things and I'm going through all that I, I am going through and I sing about in the previous songs. This is how I see it. But um, of course, it's just my interpretation. I was struggling to describe it, but it's very, very interesting that this song, I see it a bit differently than all the others. I would agree with that. Yeah. And that's the nice thing about music is that your interpretation is the only one that matters. That's really what it comes down to. And we're going to go ahead and move on to our final track, track 13, Wood. Teach me, young child, love your ass. 
originally this was available on the single soundtrack. I remember when this was released as a video and this song is fucking great. I bought the single soundtrack specifically for this song. I remember watching MTV and it was one of those just having it on all day, hoping to hear the song. It's fantastic, but it does sound and feel different. It feels like it's been added on. So as a song, I would say Wood is maybe my favorite song by Alice in Chains. Top two. I fucking love this song so much. But on this album, it's totally different in a way because it was produced by somebody else. It was written at a different time. It has a different guitar tone to it. Part of me is glad that they kind of stuck it at the end. It almost feels like a, a bonus track. This song is so, so, so good. And it does deal with addiction and it does have to do with, uh, you know, Andrew Wood, who was the singer of Mother Love Bone, who had died from uh, a heroin uh, overdose. And so it fits thematically, even if it doesn't necessarily fit musically, it does sound different. So part of me always feels like Angry Chair finishes Dirt proper and then here's this bonus track that doesn't necessarily fit with it. I don't know what I said because I love this song so much. It doesn't belong on this album. I'm glad it's there, you know, so you, so you have it. You wouldn't want to wait another few years to get it. You know, I'm glad they didn't try to either start the album with it or throw it into track six or something. They let it just be this bonus track at the end. What are your thoughts here? So you basically said already that smart thing that I wanted to point out how this song <laughs> is different. It's totally different. I also love this song. I love it very much. It's a beautiful song. It's one of the kind. I am pretty sure that this is the most covered song by Alice in Chains. I think that every band played this song at least once that <laughs> was after uh, after Alice in Chains because it's just so memorable and just sticks in your mind and it's beautiful. But yes, it sounds totally different in my opinion because as well because it uh, the, the sound is so spacious. It's not so grungy. It's like more edited and it's like less edgy than the rest of the songs, I would say. I don't know if edgy is a musical term, but that's what I will use. Sure. It's different. It's also a song that one of my other favorite bands, uh, but from progressive death metal played, I think, uh, Opeth, the, the band from Sweden, which I very like. They played the cover. It wasn't half as good, <laughs> I'd say, <laughs> as it always is, but uh, it only shows that this band is influential. People from various, uh, with various tastes uh, listen to them. And this song is like, it's, uh, I hate this word, but I have to say it, it's epic, <laughs> if you know what I mean. It's never too much of this song. This is yeah. the song that when I listen, I never, I don't think I ever listened once to this song in a row. You know, that it's like I listened to it and I didn't uh, play it again. I don't think it ever happened. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, I had it. Now I'm going, no. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely one of those songs that this gets listened to three times minimum. Yeah. That's just it. That's three times minimum. Minimum. You're welcome to listen more. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, there's, yeah. it, it, it does stretch, but I have those handful of songs where once is never enough, twice is not, you know, it's like if I only have the time for three, we're going to listen to it three times. And this is a, you know, it's a three and a half minute line. This is a, you know, for lack of a better word, it's a pop single, but it's, yeah. it's so good. But it, because it just has that drive to it. It just moves the vocal performance and the way it, uh, just, uh, such a good song, yeah. such a good song. All right, Yustina, that brings us to our final thoughts. What do you think about this record? But it's deep. That's very, has many, many layers. 
both on instrumental and lyrical, lyrical part that when you separate the songs from each other so you don't listen to them one by one you can see so much variety beyond compare wood to godsmack right <laughs> those are two different genres almost i love this album i can listen to it uh it's also very likely that if i have time if I'm listening to the music, then I will listen to it more than once in a row. It's also one of those albums that you can just listen and listen again. And I like how I grew up with it, how I looked at it differently. I look at it, how I listened to it differently when I was 10 and then 15 and then 25 and now 30 years old. And I will probably listen to it when I will be 40, 50 and, and forever. So this is one of those albums that just are. And it's one of the best albums in rock metal music. I'm always happy to come back to it, although I still don't fully understand it. <laughs> Which is beautiful. Yeah. For me, this is one of those records that I love this record, obviously, but I'm also kind of happy when it's over because it's not a pleasant journey. You know, this is not a fun record, as we have said a couple of times here. It reminds me a little bit of Ministries Psalm 69. Like, I love to listen to it, but I'm also a little bit happy when it's over. You need to let your body relax a little bit because there's so much tension in it. And it's one that I will listen to over the course of a few days, but I won't necessarily listen to it more than one time in a day. There was a couple of times, of course, I listened to it kind of back to back, but not something I do a lot with this one. And as much as I do like it, I do have to have that moment of silence when it's over. Like I'm not quick to throw on an, another record because I just need to process it and absorb it a little bit. If you have listened to uh, this far, if you would like to co-host an episode of your own, feel free to write me at uh, lovethisrecord at gmail.com. And if you go to the website, at lovethisrecord.com. You can find a wish list. Hey, maybe you'll find something that you fucking love and you want to talk to me about. Hey, hit me up. Send me an email. Let's make this happen. You stand up. After months and months and months of trying to get this done, we finally got this done and you did such a great job. So thank you so much for joining. It was a lot of fun talking about this record. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. You can find all of our episodes at lovethisrecord.com. Intro and outro music by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks as always to original patron, Mark Evers.